Good morning, church. I'm, I'm glad you, you braved the rain and you guys made it out. It's good to see all of you uh, today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I'd love to meet you if this is your first time here. So uh, just seek me out after the service is, is over. I would appreciate that uh, very much. Uh, to bring you up to speed, we're, we're in a series in Exodus, and we're going through Exodus uh, for the remainder of, of the fall season, and we've come to this incredible story, one of the greatest stories of all time in all of literature, Christian or not, amazing story. And uh, as we begin to, to look at this, I want to start by, by asking you a question, just shout it out. Uh, my question is this, um, who, who can tell me what a predicament is. A very, yes, a difficult situation. Anybody want to expand on that? All right. You don't see any way out. That's right. What's that? I thought I heard a... That's a good example. <laughs> very good example. <laughs> That's very specific. Example. <laughs> uh, well, I've got some other examples for you, uh, some pictures that kind of illustrate uh, what a predicament is. You can check, check these out if the, the thing is working. Do it. There we go. Predicament. All right? That kind of illustrates the predicament for, for us. Those pictures can kind of help us understand uh, the definition, but, but they, don't quite, they don't quite drive it home as much as our own personal reality. Life can be absolutely brutal sometimes, can't it? I, I, I saw a quote by Spanish philosopher George Santayana that said, all of life is a predicament. It can feel that way sometimes, can it? Our predicaments, they can make our hearts ache. They can fill us with dread. They can make us feel sick. They can shake our faith and, and cause us to question like, everything we know. The story we just read is probably the, the best known predicament in all of history. And from this story, I believe that we learn four truths that I think are critical to hold in our hearts as we go through and face our troublesome situations. And the first truth that I hope we all get is this, that God's plan includes our predicament. God's plan includes our predicament. Now, let me go ahead and put this in context. God's people were in slavery to the Egyptians for 430 years. That's a long time. They were brutally oppressed, and they cried out to God, and God sent Moses to deliver them. And Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no. And, and so God sent the ten plagues, and finally Pharaoh says, get out of here, and then all the Israelites leave. Now, if you look at the map... It's a straight shot from Egypt to the promised land. All, all, all you got to do is follow the Mediterranean coast, right? So 
if all they did was follow the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, I mean, first, I mean, that's pretty easy. How do you mess that up? And at most, it would have taken three weeks to get there. But instead, they turn south and they head away from the promised land. So, I mean, what in the world is going on? Was, was Moses, like, directionally challenged? I mean, how does this happen? Meanwhile, back in the palace, Pharaoh is still hurting from the last plague. It was brutal. But then it gradually dawns on Pharaoh, I just lost my entire labor force. But then he gets a, a report that, that for some reason that the Israelites are, are wandering aimlessly in the desert. And so he sees this as an opportunity and he sends out his military, including over 600 chariots. And he's thinking, you know what, if the Israelites aren't going to serve us, then you know what, we're going to wipe them out. They will die. So... Pharaoh's army catches up with the Israelites at the Red Sea. They've got them trapped, and they are about to slaughter the entire nation of the Hebrews. The Israelites are stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? How in the world did the Israelites get into this particular situation? I mean, did Moses take a wrong turn? Did he refuse to to ask directions like most dudes refuse to do? Did he get sand in his GPS? I mean, like, how in the world did, did he get into this predicament? I'll tell you how he got into this predicament. God led them. God led them. In a pillar of cloud by day and, and a pillar of fire by night, God is leading his people, and God leads them into a dead end. God leads them into a troublesome situation, a predicament. Why? Two related reasons. For his glory and to grow his people. They were not yet ready to enter the promised land, and so God leads them into a dead end. So, what is it that, that, that we learn from this when it comes to, to our troublesome situations. Here's what we learn. That even when we do not understand what in the world is going on, we can know that God is in control and he can be trusted. I remember um, many years ago, now one of the first um, really difficult situations um, that, that I found myself in in ministry early on. Um, we had a young guy in our, in our young adults ministry. We had a, a young guy named Michael Bennett who was involved in, in everything that we did. And, and everyone absolutely uh, loved Michael Bennett. I mean, he was a total goofball. And, and he was one of the most generous people you would ever meet in your life. At 20 years old, he got engaged to, to Tanya. And, and Tanya was a, a young woman. She, she loved to laugh, and she loved to bust chops, and she was just absolutely full of joy. And as the wedding uh, approached, uh, Michael noticed that there was something very wrong with his, his lower abdomen, but decided that they would check it out after um, the honeymoon. It was a beautiful wedding, and I was honored to have a small part in it, and 
when they came back from the honeymoon, they went ahead and went into the, to the doctor, and the doctor told Michael that he had cancer and that he would be dead soon. So like anyone, he was faced with some very serious what-ifs. You know, what if this happened? What if, what if that happens? But he knew the truth of God's power and love. And because he knew that truth, he realized that he didn't have to say what if. He could say whatever. He could say whatever happens. I know, I know that God is strong. And I know that he is also loving. Now, my father-in-law happens to be a pastor, too, and, and uh, he decided to visit, go visit Michael in the hospital, but he didn't know which hospital, which room, and so, so he called uh, the house uh, to ask Tanya where Michael was, but Michael actually answered the, the phone, and, and my father-in-law said, oh, Michael, you're, you're home, and I will never forget what Michael said as he lay there on his deathbed in his house. He says, I'm not home yet, but I will be soon. Michael, I mean, he knew the truth. I mean, he knew the truth that that death could not separate him from the love of God. He knew the truth that that, that there was more than death in his future, that God was both loving enough and powerful enough to make good on his promise, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, he knew that he was going to see Jesus. I mean, and you know what? He didn't, he didn't muster up, you know, peace in his heart because, you know, that's the Christian thing to do. There's a Bible verse for that. No, he knew. I mean, he knew the truth of who Jesus is. He knew the truth of what Jesus has done. He knew the truth of what Jesus was going to do and that he was going to fulfill his promises. It changed his whole perspective as, as, as he <laughs> was knocking on death's door. Here's, here's what I think um, most of us miss most of the time. That, that the issue when it, when it comes to faith is not necessarily um, that, that we know what God is doing. The issue is God knows what he's doing, even if we don't. So let me ask you, what trouble, troublesome situation are you facing? My, my question for you this morning is, as you're facing this, this predicament of yours, as it's, as it's just robbing you of, of joy, maybe filling you with fear, I mean, are you asking, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? Or can you say whatever? If, if we're saying what if, you, you know what, the, what it means. If, if I'm saying what if, it means that I'm looking at God through the lens of my messed up, horrible circumstances. And then God looks very far away or gives me a very distorted picture of who God is and what he does. Because I'm looking through the lens of my, my circumstances. 
you know, if this is happening to me, either, either God isn't in control or he's just not very loving. And so the result is fear. And we're filled with, with fear of the what ifs. But if we look <laughs> at our circumstances through the lens of God, we see God more clearly. And then he gives us clarity on our messed up circumstances. It changes absolutely everything. This is what makes it possible to face the, the hard times with courage and to face these, these difficult, uh, troublesome times with, with hope. And, and you won't be stuck saying, what if? More and more, you'll be able to say, whatever. Whatever happens, I know that God will use this for his glory and my ultimate good. So that's the first thing that, that we learn here. God's plan includes our predicament. But now I have a question for you. Um, why? I, I, why does it have to happen this way? Why does God lead us into that? Well, that brings us to our second point. And our second point is this, that, that God's purpose in all of it is our freedom. God's purpose is our freedom. Verse 10, when, when Pharaoh and his army drew near, the, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and maybe they felt the ground uh, rumbling. Their glasses of water had ripples in it, like in Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> they looked up. They saw this huge cloud of dust coming towards them, and they, they heard the, the, the pounding of the hooves and, and men shouting, and then they saw the chariots, and their blood ran cold. I mean, chariots were, were state-of-the-art killing machines of that day. And yeah, the, the Israelites were, were armed, but they weren't trained. And even if they were trained, they knew they were no match for Pharaoh and the most powerful, powerful army on, on the planet. I mean, they had a tsunami of military power headed right for them. And their backs were up against the Red Sea, and they had no place to go. I mean, they remembered what the Egyptians told us. They said, serve us or be slaughtered. I mean, they knew they were going to die. And they were terrified. So what do they do? They do what most people usually do. They blame the leader. <laughs> right? That's how it usually plays out. They blame Moses. Listen, listen to what they say. So they said to Moses... Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the, in the wilderness? What, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Now listen to this. Is not this what we said? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? I mean, that's what they said. Is it not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. I mean, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. You know what this is? This is language of slavery. This is language of addiction. They're in total denial. They're totally deluded. They're talking as if everything was just fine in Egypt. I mean, they didn't really want to leave. This is, this is 
crack talk. They were miserable in Egypt. And so they cried out to God for deliverance. And when he sent Moses, I mean, they worshiped God. And after all of that, they're still talking like slaves. They're still talking like addicts. They're in total denial and deluded about the past. They're also deluded about the present. They go on to say, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, in, in their response here, there's something missing. Okay? You know what it is? It's a third option. I mean, they only see two possible outcomes. Oppressive slavery in, in Egypt or get slaughtered. I mean, what should they be saying? I mean, I mean, they should be saying, Lord, you just brought the powerful Egyptians to their knees with the ten plagues. I think we're going to need another plague. Or, or they could say, God, you know what? We have no idea how you're going to deliver us. We have no idea what in the world is going on. But, what, what, but after what we've seen you do, we know that you're not going to let it end like this. We know that you're going to ultimately deliver us. But they don't even put God into the equation. And that is why they're filled with fear. That is why they're acting like like slaves. And so what do, we what, do we, what do we learn from this? What we learn is that every single one of us, without exception, serves something. Serves something. I mean, people, I mean, people love this idea of, of, of freedom, but, but they think it's, but I think the common idea of freedom is, is, is distorted. They think freedom is, is freedom from any Lord, from, from any master, freedom from anyone or anything that, that controls me, freedom to be my own person, freedom to be my own Lord, my own master. You know what? That's impossible. It's totally impossible. That is, that is not reality for anybody. Look at the Israelites. They're no longer under slavery in Egypt. At the same time, God hasn't even given the law yet. That happens later at Mount Sinai when they enter a covenant with the Lord. So according to the modern definition of, of freedom, they're, they're free. They have no Lord and Master. They're their own lords and, and masters. But look how they're talking here. Regardless, I mean, they, they're still talking like slaves. They are being controlled by their circumstances. But then check out Moses. Moses is totally calm. He's totally cool. He's totally collected. Moses says, don't fear. Stand firm. The Lord is going to fight for you. You will see the Lord's salvation. No sign of fear or slavery. Why? He knows the Lord. He met God. He knows. See, the, the common view of freedom is a total myth. Absolute myth. You are either serving the Lord or you are a slave to something else. You know, people, people have known this, like, forever, throughout, throughout history. I came across a quote from 
uh, a dude back in uh, 400 BC, an ancient Greek dramatist named Euripides, and, and he wrote this. He says, no one is free. You are a slave to wealth or the law or the people you are trying to please. And then you fast forward a few millennia, and Bob Dylan sings, you got to serve somebody, and he sings it in his album, Slow Train Coming, and he says, you may be an ambassador to England or, or France, you may like to gamble, you may like to dance, you may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with a long string of pearl, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You know, um, when, when you read uh, the, the passages in Scripture, uh, what you notice is that God never just says, let my people go. God always says, let my people go that they may worship me. So let me ask you, what are you serving? Who are you serving? These are questions we need to ask ourselves on a consistent, regular basis. And maybe you don't know. Maybe nothing comes to mind. I'm serving God and God alone, always, every second of the day, because I'm a Christian. But that's not true. And the, the reason we know it's not true is, well, it becomes obvious when we find ourselves in a predicament. When we find ourselves in a troublesome situation. And like the Israelites, the symptoms of slavery are, are anger and despair and complaining, complaining and blaming others and, and denial. No one here experiences any of that, right? I did this week, just a few days ago, totally lost my cool. And when I think about it, I'm totally embarrassed. But it's a red flag that points us to a diagnosis that can lead to freedom. So what causes these symptoms? The despair, the complaining, the, the, dis, the discontent or denial. Or what, what causes it? I'll tell you what causes it. Delusional thinking. I know that from personal experience. Delusional thinking. We fall for a lie. The lie that, that God is not enough. I also need this. In order for me to be okay, I also have to have this. Fill in the blank. What is it for you? Or maybe I should say fill in the blanks, which is more common. What is it for you? I mean, check your heart. Check your life. What stirs up that fear? You know what? <laughs> What's especially tricky here is that it can be good stuff. We make good stuff the ultimate stuff. It could be security, approval, beauty, success, the love of a special person, comfort, sex, good health. We figure it out when whatever it is comes under attack and our life falls apart. That is what controls us, and we're, ens we're enslaved 
And then we try all kinds of other things to, to, to secure our own freedom. Which just leads us into more predicaments. And just makes the lack of joy and, and uh, the, the oppressiveness of, of fear, it just gets sustained. The truth of the matter is, God wants to set you free. He wants you to, to experience deliver, deliverance. He wants to free you from, from everything that, that enslaves you. He wants to relieve you from, from, from the, 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 he wants you to experience relief from, from fear and, and oppression so that you can know the joy and the freedom of worshiping and serving him. That's the second thing we learn. God's purpose for our predicament is, is, is freedom. But how does he set us f- free? That leads to our, our third truth, and, and it's this, that God's deliverance is decisive. It is absolutely decisive. I mean, you look at this account in Exodus, and we see that, that, that the deliverance of Israel is, is radically decisive. Before crossing the Red Sea, Israel was under the sentence of death, and the Egyptian army had come to, to slaughter them. They were condemned, but when they get to the other side of the Red Sea, everything changes, Right? The Egyptians chase after them, but the Lord fights for his people and refuses the Egyptians to cross over to wipe them out. And it says the waters returned and covered the entire army, and not one of them remained. It was decisive. Before crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites were under the sentence of death. But on the other side, the Israelites were free. No more condemnation. No more slavery. No more bondage. No more uh, oppression. No more threat of of death. It was once and for all time decisive deliverance. In fact, he says, you will never see the Egyptians again. (laughs) So what do we learn what do we learn from this? What we learn is that Christian salvation is radically decisive. It is once and for all time decisive. Christian, you know, Christian salvation is completely different than, than every other religion. The New Testament uses the, the crossing of the Red Sea as, as a picture of Christian salvation. And, and the, the floodwaters are, are symbolic of judgment. Look what Jesus, uh, Jesus says in John 5. He says, I tell you the truth, he says. Like, pay attention. Believe this. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. This is completely different than all other religions. I mean, when you convert to every other religion, your hope is that by the time you die, you will be good enough to pass the judgment and be with God. Your hope is that at the end of your life, I mean, you might be able to cross over. But Jesus says, I'm offering you something radically different. One moment you're under condemnation, and at the very next moment, you have crossed 
over immediately. There is no condemnation. You can know that you have eternal life. You can know that God welcomes you. You can know that God accepts you. You can know that that God delights in you. It is a decisive, a decisive change in your status. And then you begin the process of changing. Your behavior changes. I mean, you, you seek to find out how does God want you to live? How can I, God, show me, show me the holiness that you have for me as, as, as a gift. You start changing. But first and foremost, a radical change needs to happen in your, your predicament, your spiritual predicament. You, you need to have crossed over. And when you have crossed over, you need to know that it's decisive. You need to know that it's a done deal. No other religion is like that. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because it doesn't depend on us. <laughs> doesn't depend on us. Just like the Israelites, the Lord fights for you. The Lord leads you through. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but I don't have enough faith. Really? Well, <laughs> imagine. Imagine that you're one of the Israelites, and you're among, you know, the crowd of Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And, and you might be hearing some people, I mean, you have the, you have the walls, these giant walls of water on, on either, either side of you. And I'm sure some people are saying, this is amazing. God, you are so awesome. I can't believe this is happening. Woohoo! Yeah, that's so stoked. Or, or you may hear other people walking through saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I know we're going to die. Right? But guess what? Every single one of them were saved. Every single one of them were delivered. (laughs) Each and every one who walked through made it to the other side. See, you know what that means? It's it's not the quantity of your faith that, uh, of their faith that saved them. It was the object of their faith that saved them. All who trusted in the Lord made it through. It didn't matter if they had a lot of faith or if they had a little bit of faith. All that mattered was that they were trusting in the Lord. And if they had put, if they decided not to put their trust in the Lord and they decided to put the, the, their trust in themselves and their, their own abilities, you know what would have happened? They would have been absolutely destroyed, totally wiped out. So let me ask you this morning. Have you crossed over? Do you know that you are free? Do you know that? No condemnation. No slavery. Do you know that you have crossed over, that you have eternal life, and that you can never, ever lose it? Do you know that that God loves you? Do you know that that he delights in you as his son and as as his daughter and nothing can ever change that? And if you say, well, you know what, I'm trying. If that's what we say, then it means that we don't get it. It doesn't depend on us. It's not something that you make happen. Salvation is of the Lord. So my encouragement to you is trust him. With, <laughs> just trust him. 
Even if you're scared, and <laughs> just, just trust him and, and see that the Lord will fight for you. He has fought for you. Trust him today. What are you going through? God will deliver you. Now, for those of you who are Christians, it is so absolutely, so absolutely critical to remember that you, in the, as you face these troublesome situations, it's so important for, for you to remember that you have already crossed over. It's so important for you to, to remember that God is not punishing you. God is using this for, for his glory and for your ultimate good. He wants to grow us in freedom. We need to remember that we've already crossed over. And that, that was the third point. But now the question is, <laughs> how is it? You read the story and, and you're kind of left wondering, how, how is it that, that these people, these people, these Israelites, how is it that they get to cross over? I mean, they were just complaining. They were just blaming. They were, they were acting as if God didn't even exist or that he ever delivered them or brought them any deliverance at all. There was no gratitude for what God had done to bring them out of Egypt. No faith that God could handle this particular situation. How could these people cross over? Well, that takes us to our fourth and, and final point. Our meteor makes it all happen. Now, there's something very, very strange going on here. I, I don't know if you, if you noticed it. I think maybe some uh, things get a little lost in translation. But, but what we see is that the people are, are sinning big time, right? And, and Moses, Moses is behaving wonderfully. Right? He's, he's totally confident in the Lord. Look at verse 13. It says that, that Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. See that the salvation is of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and, and you have only to be silent. You have only to be still. Moses is full of faith. He is full of, of, of courage. But then in verse 15, the Lord rebukes Moses. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? <laughs> I mean, Moses is rebuked even though he's full of faith and behaving wonderfully. I mean, we don't see him doing anything wrong here. It's the people who are grumbling. It's the people who are faithless. I mean, that, that's a little confusing, right? Why does Moses get rebuked for what the people think, for what the people do, for, for what the people say? It's because he's their mediator. He represents the people before God. Now, you might, it might feel like I'm reading into this, but it happens later too. There's a place in the wilderness with the, when Israelites sin greatly against the Lord, and God said to Moses, um, I will destroy them. And Moses intervened. And Moses says, please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses 
is willing to take their punishment so that God would spare them. He's their representative. He gets, Moses gets what they deserve, rebuke. And, and the people get what Moses deserves, deliverance. Why? He's their mediator. But Jesus teaches us in Luke 24, when he's chatting with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, that we're supposed to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the Messiah, who he is and what he has done. And if we read the scriptures that way, we see that Moses is pointing to a greater, or, yeah, Moses is, pre, is pointing to a greater Moses. That, that Moses is, is pointing to a, a greater mediator. Moses is pointing to Jesus, the one mediator between God and man. All of his life, Jesus behaved perfectly. He never, ever sinned. And yet on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had done everything that we had done. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he committed all of our sin, especially the sin of serving and worshiping someone or something other than God. On the cross, God poured out on Jesus the floodwaters of judgment. And so what this means is that when you trust Jesus as your mediator, it means that you immediately cross over. You are delivered from judgment. You are delivered from bondage. You are delivered from bondage to sin and death. And it's a radically decisive change in your situation. Your troublesome situation. You have crossed over from death to life. How is that possible? Well, it's all because Jesus is your mediator. He was treated as if he had done what you have done, what I have done. And then you are treated as if you had done what Jesus had done. And he got what we deserve, judgment, so that we might get what he deserves, which is eternal life. And the loving embrace and acceptance of our Heavenly Father. So the bottom line question is this. Have you trusted Jesus? Do you actively trust Jesus and, and his word, even the parts that don't make sense or you, you don't like or it might fill you with, with fear? Do you, do you trust Jesus? Here's the deal. If, if Jesus is not the center of our lives, then we are absolutely not free. There are things in your life that are controlling you. There are things in your life that are defining you. There are things in your life that you're looking to, to give you your, your identity. And, and so often, so many people say, well, I'm not going to turn to Jesus because if I turn to Jesus, that means that I'm, that I'm no longer looking to these things for my identity, for my value, for what I need to be okay. And then we just end up getting ripped off and let down and enslaved. And it sucks the joy out of us. 
And then we get such a distorted perspective that, that Jesus is, is too controlling and oppressive. That God just wants to rob us of our joy and what it is that we need. It happens all the time. So have we trusted in Jesus? There are things in our life that are controlling us. Things in our life that, that promise to make you happy, but when you get them, they leave you empty. And here's the other thing. When you fail them, they condemn you. Jesus is the only master. When, when you get him, he fulfills your heart. And when you fail him, he forgives you. So I'm pleading with you this morning. Trust him. Trust him with everything. Trust him with all of it. Trust him with your, your eternity, but, but trust him with your, your relationships. Trust him with, with your, your current troublesome situation. Trust him with everything. Don't hold anything back. Give it all to him. He is your mediator. He is your deliverer. Trust him. For those of you who have trusted Jesus, I, again, remember, you have crossed over that's good news. But now, it's time to live it out. Why would we keep acting like slaves if we truly are free? Live it out. And what that means, it may start with God, show me the sin in my life that I am holding on to and justifying. Do that so that you can experience deliverance. Your old masters, relationships, comfort, work, approval, old masters will come after you and they will say, serve me or die. So, what do you do? If you know that you've crossed over, you don't panic. You don't panic. You simply say to these old masters, you know what? You're not the boss of me. <laughs> right? You, you are not my significance. Jesus is. You are not my security, Jesus is. You are not my joy, Jesus is. You are not my fulfillment, Jesus is. Jesus is more than enough. I have crossed over and now I am free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your good news. Thank you so much for your deliverance. God, forgive us for, for our addiction to things that we think are going to make us okay. And they're good. They could, they could be good things. They could be bad things, unhealthy things. We go back to them time and time again because we think that there's some kind of deliverance that we'll get from that that we can't get from you. God, help us to trust you in every single area of our life. And God, teach us to pray. God, show me, show me the sin in my heart. Bring it to light. God, by your kindness, bring us to uh, repentance so that we can experience true freedom. Not a mirage of freedom, but, but true freedom. God, we thank you that, that you're not just waiting for us to step out of line, to zap us with a lightning bolt, but that you want what's best for us. 
because you love us more than we could possibly imagine. You delight in us more than we could possibly, uh, possibly think. God, I, I, I pray that we would know that you want us to experience freedom in you. So God, I, I pray, Lord, for, for everyone uh, here uh, this morning that, that you give us eyes to see, eyes to see where we don't trust you and eyes to see that we can uh, trust you. Enable by your Holy Spirit, enable us to do that. God, we pray that you would be glorified through it all and that we would see, that we'd be convinced that it's for our good. God, I pray those for those who are in a, in a troublesome situation uh, right now that you would give them comfort, comfort that only, only the Holy Spirit can provide, and that even though the, their current situation is painful or that pain is right around the corner, um, that, that you will walk with them and that you will be with them and that you will deliver them. God, help us to remind each other of the deliverance. Use this community to remind each other of your, of your grace, that we needed it and that you freely give it to us. We pray this in your name.